Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. This is Parsha Nitzavim, and we are going to jump right in. This Parsha is most often right before the high holiday. Sometimes it's paired with um, Vayelech. So sometimes you'll hear Parsha Nitzavim Vayelech. Uh, it's all because we're trying to get to, obviously, Breshit for after, um, for after Simchat Torah, well, on and after Simchat Torah. So we need to, some in some years, kind of catch ourselves up. This is not one of those years, so we are just looking at Nitzavim. And, uh, and I will let Rabbi Shapiro kick us off with a little intro to the Parsha and tell us which verses we are focused on. Chapter 30 of Devarim. Um, as is often the case when we find ourselves at the end of a chapter, which is where we will be, I'll just do a, a quick scan through most of this. I was saying to Rabbi Schatz earlier this week, um, it, it's, it's, it's getting a little repetitive at this point, right? De- Deuteronomy, Moses on his way out is really hammering his points home. So much, much of what you see in this parak is stuff you've been hearing pretty consistently over these past number of weeks. Um, so when these things befall you, the blessing and the curse that I've said before, you have heard about blessing and curse. Spoiler alert, we'll be talking about that a little bit today. And you return to the Lord, your God, and you and your children listen to God's command then the Lord, your God, will restore your fortunes and take you back in love. I, I will just add very briefly, it's interesting that even in Moses' farewell speech, he's saying, I know you're not really going to listen to me, but there will be a time when you return, which, as Rabbi Shat sort of mentioned uh, a moment ago, uh, tis, tis the season, uh, as it were, to be thinking about returning. Um, verse four, even if you're at the ends of the earth, uh, God will gather you up and he'd bring you back into the land. Um, ver- verse six was almost what we talked about. Rabbi Shas liked it. Then uh, the Lord your God will open up your heart and the hearts of your offspring to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul so that you may live. We're going to be touching on that concept a bit today as well. Um, God's going to not be so happy with your enemies. We've been hearing about a bit about that pretty consistently. You will get prosperity in all your undertakings um, since you will be listening to God. So all of that is is fairly uh, standard order Deuteronomy stuff at this point. Rabbi Schatz, is that is that fair to say? Yeah. Un- unfair to say? Well, whether or not it's fair, I already said it. Okay. Um, you, you might recognize these couple of verses coming up here. Um, surely this instruction, which I enjoined upon you this day, is not too baffling to you, nor is it beyond reach. Lo bashamayim he, every conservative rabbinical student's favorite uh, favorite verse right here. Also Alan Brody's favorite Torah. And the reason I know that is because I taught, and Larry Herman's maybe, okay. uh, because I taught it last year for Shabbat Mincha. Um, why I was on for Shabbat Mincha right before Rosh Hashanah, I don't know. And uh, when I, what? Because you're everyone's favorite rabbi. <laughs> no, no one else chooses to be on except for except for myself. Um, but but they were talking about how how this really has been like a, a verse that they've lived their lives by, and I think that a lot of I know that it is not Rabbi Shapiro's favorite verse, um, but I know that for a lot of people they feel this way that this really um, informed and defines a lot of how we practice conservative Judaism uh and so what yeah absolutely but it's like how Bob Dylan doesn't want to play blowing in the wind in concert you know what I mean it's like yes it's it's a wonderful song it's a powerful I just didn't want to dismiss it's like it's still important I think it needs to be discussed today I agree with Rabbi Schatz everyone's favorite rabbi um yes Loba Shemaim He this idea and then just just to pull it apart 10 seconds more, this idea that that Torah should be accessible to you in, in wherever you are now, right? It should not be up in the heavens that you should say who among us can go up and get it. Next verse, neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who of us can cross the other side of the sea. 
Verse 14, ki karov elecha hadavar mot. Rather, the thing is very close to you in your mouth and in your heart to observe it. This the idea. other verse I wanted to do. Okay. So if I wasn't here, Rabbi Schatz would be doing, Rabbi Schatz, if, 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 uh, if you lived here, you'd be home by now. Uh, if I wasn't here, Rabbi Schatz would already be talking about the Parsha in greater depth and meaning. Uh, it's, it's very close to you, right? This idea that Torah shouldn't be distant. Okay, getting closer to what we are going to be diving into. Um, this idea that is be, what is being set before you is life and good or death and evil, right? This is also an idea in terms of the choice that we collectively and we as individuals are making based on what Moses is holding out um, to us. You're being, we are being commanded, love God, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, his laws, and his rules. But if your heart turns away, uh, you shall certainly perish, right? Again, this very Deuteronomic idea of blessing and curse of this is what you're supposed to do. If you do it, great, there will be a reward. If you don't do it, not so great, there will be consequences. Bringing us to the two verses at long last, yea verily, that we are going to be exploring in greater depth today, verses 19 and 20 out of Deuteronomy chapter 30. Bachem hayom et I call heaven and earth to witness against, against you. Do we, I, I don't like that that uh, preposition there. I call heaven and earth to witness upon you this day. Um, I place before you life and death, blessing and curse. And you should choose life. So that you and your offspring should live. To love the Lord your God. Ul davka, ul davkabo, to, uh, to listen to God's voice and to uh, hold fast to him. Is it translated here? I think that's pretty good, actually. Kihu chayecha ve'orech yamecha, for God is your life and your length of days. Al ha'adama asher nishpa adonai lavotecha, lavraham litzchak uleakov latet lahem, that to dwell upon the land that God um, has promised to your uh, to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give to them. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're looking at. That was my that 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 was my segue. That was my, that was my toss over to you, Rabbi Schatz, back in our Acuparsha forecast newsroom. Okay. Um, can you get, uh, somehow make it so that the screen shows all of the verses that we're talking about? It doesn't. What can you see? Aren't right. we look, oh, we're only looking at 19 and 20? Okay. That, no, no, that's right. That's right. That's right. I knew that. I knew that. I knew that. Because, okay. Can you make it a little bit bigger then? <laughs> I didn't look at 18. So we're all... Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. Uh, there's a few things going on. Can you, you may be everyone's favorite rabbi. However... Watch it. <laughs> okay. Um, Kushiot on... Th- as Rosh Shapiro said, this is, these are the last two verses of this Parsha. And interestingly, as I mentioned before, um, sometimes these aren't the last two verses, right? Sometimes these go straight in. It's all, they're always the last two verses of the Parsha, but sometimes they're not, they're not the last two verses that we read. Sometimes we go straight into the next Parsha. Um, so you're welcome to think of it as final or welcome to think of it as kind of um, a continuation into something else. But uh, any, any questions, any thoughts on these two verses here? I can't see everybody, so let me make everybody. Okay, Denise, yeah, go ahead. So um, I only discovered this as an adult. Like I I was at a class and the rabbi said, you know, that there's this thing in the Torah about I place before you life and death and I command you to choose life. And I was blown away. I, I just thought it was so beautiful and so relevant. And it, it was just amazing to me. So. Oh, great. Wonderful. That's all. Yeah, and yeah. not really a kushia uh, in there other than just wow. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. It, it is a really interesting, as we get further in the Torah, kushia becomes a very flexible term. Um, but, uh, but it is, this is a concept that comes up. We actually talked about it three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Time is a crazy thing right now. I'm not really sure. But um, a few parshiot ago. Joanna, we... would, Joanna would remember. Joanna's good at that. 
Um, it comes up in A a little bit, but not exactly like this. Correct. Exactly. I was just trying to in, do the math in my head as to when A was, but that's exactly what I was getting at, which is we see this idea of putting blessing and curse against one another in a few different areas, but very specifically kind of over and over again in terms of Moshe's recounting of what's going on, which is really interesting. Um, and, and I guess not so surprising when we think of our lives also, right? The ways in which we can compartmentalize things that were really great and things that um, we could have maybe made better decisions about or just weren't so great for whatever reason. Um, so yes, I agree with your astonishment with this idea. It is, it is one that is quite awesome in all the ways that awesome is defined. Uh, Ilan, Marlies, Karen. So two things. Uh, in verse 19, I think it's uh, very, it is a very powerful expression of free will. Um, and and the fact that uh, you as an individual have agency in uh, in your own future, right? And that, and that, um, that don't rely on God to kind of just lead you there, you must choose life, right? So to me, that's very powerful. And in verse 20, what's powerful is is a recognition of human nature. And what is that? Which is, it, it doesn't say you shall, uh, by loving the Lord your God, heeding his commandments and holding fast to him, because this is the right thing to do. It is actually a realization and an acknowledgement that really the only way to get people to do something is if it's something in it for them. Right. And, and it says that, okay, if you do this, here is the reward. You shall have life and you shall long endure upon the soil. Right. So it's, um, it's, it's definitely a uh, recognition of uh, human nature. Right. Beautiful. I, yeah, th- those were two things that I also noticed in, in looking at these verses. Um, and, and I love that they're right before Rosh Hashanah, because so, mu- so much of this season is us thinking about the fragility of life and also wh- what, wo- what role we play in it. And for those of us who believe that there is also a higher power in terms of our lives and the things that happen in our life, um, free will or not, but just, you know, the connection to a divine, a divine creator, um, how that plays into these two pieces as well, right? I, I totally agree with you in terms of the free will piece in the first verse. Um, but this idea, similar to the second paragraph of the Shema, that if you do certain things, you get certain things in your life as well. Um, which again, I think just plays plays very nicely with the um, with the themes of the high holidays. Um, Karen put her hand down. So Marlise and then Renee. Um, I'm partly thinking about it because of some, some of the other verses that came before for it, but in terms of, well, blessing and curse at least, and what's what can bring life or death, is it all just total opposites, binary choice? Is there any kind of nuance or more, oh, more complexity to it? Yeah. Why is it also black and white, right? Like what's the, what's the in-between or what's the nuance to these different pieces? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. The Torah is so categorical usually, right? There's usually, there really isn't so much nuance until we get into like building the Mishkan <laughs> where it's very specific as to what you need and what it's supposed to look like and all of that. Um but even there, that's not nuance, right? It's still, uh, it's still def, def um, I was going to say definitive, but, um, you know, it's still painting by numbers, right? It's still telling you exactly what needs to look like where, um, yeah, interesting, interesting point, especially based on, as you said, the other verses that we were talking about, uh, even leading up to this one. Great. Uh, Renee, Karen, Rebecca. I can do this. I'm on my phone. Can you hear me? Okay, so I think it's interesting that the, like the first one to me is, it basically says you should choose life over death. Uh-huh. It's black and white. I, it's very similar to what I think Elon was saying. And the second one is it's it seems to me like there's more of a of a um, telling us that we need to follow the commandments and we, there's more of a structure that we have to do certain things in order for us to have that long life. Say a little bit more about that. What do you mean? Well, we have to follow his commandments and we have to honor Hashem. And by doing those things, we'll have a long life. 
Whereas in the first one, it's just saying you can pick life. Or you cannot pick life, but I, I want you to pick life. Got it. Got it. So there's reason. But it didn't behind. seem like there's a criteria for it so much in the first one. And then the second one, there's a criteria in order to select that we have to do certain things. Yeah. So that kind of goes back to what Elon was saying with a different goal a little bit, right? That, that in the first one, there's free will. And so you get to choose whether or not it is, uh, it, you, you're choosing life or you're choosing death. But then as you're pointing out in the second, in the second verse here in verse 20, it's very clear that God wants us to choose life, right? Wants us to choose one or the other. Uh, and for all of these reasons, but I'll just push you a little bit in terms of thinking about how, yes, wants us to choose life, but doesn't necessarily give us our own um, authority as to, as to how. Rather, here are the ways to be connected to me, and then it will be good for you, right? God's commandments are holding fast to God. And that, to me, is especially is especially interesting when we don't have an anthropomorphized God in front of us anymore. Now it's this idea of, of a spiritual God um, who very much has relationship with people, but, but not in the same kind but, of... But it's also his choice, especially during the game. It's like, you know, on Rosh Hashanah, it's already decided where, whether we're going to live or die. And it's, our fate is sealed on Yom Kippur. So it's almost ironic that he's telling us in the first verse to choose life when okay, you know, I may say I want to choose life, but if it's my time and Hashem has decided it's my time, it doesn't matter whether I choose life. So that is definitely a theology that some people ascribe to. And I think that there are other people who would say, even if God thinks that, or even if I believe that God is all-knowing in terms of my time and how things will work, in terms of free will, right, and in terms of the way that I lead, not I, Rebecca, but, you know, a person leads their life, that we should have control over how we care for our bodies, how we care for our planet, how we care for our community, um, which allows us to live longer or allows us to feel as though we have at least some agency over that choosing of life um, instead of instead of death. But you you are pointing out a theology that is that is not foreign to us, and definitely we will say lots of prayers around in the coming few weeks. Um, okay. Uh, and now I don't remember the order. Karen, Rebecca, Denise. <clears throat> so, and I, you froze. So it wasn't that I took my hand down right in the middle of what Elon was saying, but anyway, oh. I'm thinking, okay. what about suicide? So you can't do suicide. Right. And even if I live amongst life, I could get cancer mm-hmm. or I could get, you know, and die even though. Yeah. So I, I'm having a lot of uh, questions here about, okay, so if I'm really godlike and the mitzvah and Starbucks cards and whatever else I do, yeah. that's not going to necessarily prevent harm. Totally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, we just lived a week where there were many natural disasters. And uh, that is not something that anybody could have prevented. Now, someone could argue with me and say, well, if we took better care of our planet years ago, then we would have been able to prevent. I mean, there's always there's always ways of arguing those types of what if situations. But yeah, of course, in terms of cancer, right? I, I remember when my uncle was diagnosed with cancer, he himself was a cancer researcher. So, you know, the irony and him knowing much more about what was happening to him than I did, um, he would be the first person to say, like, you have good cells and you have bad cells. And sometimes your bad cells just win and your good cells don't know how to fight them. And that's science, right? Okay. Um, and what about, so, what about uh, suicide in Judaism? Yeah, so I mean, Rabbi Shapiro probably knows much more about this than I do in terms of his mental health work. Um, but one thing I can say, unfortunately, from experience of, of uh, suicide in circles of my life, um, dying by suicide is something that we in Judaism, you know, do not, do not see as a way out, right? We don't, um, many people ask, oh, can someone who dies by suicide, 
be buried in a Jewish cemetery? The answer is yes. Um, but because we believe that our bodies do not belong to that, you know, that our bodies belong to us, but that our souls belong to God. Um, you know, how are we, how are we taking care of something that's not actually ours? It's on loan to us. So a much bigger conversation for another time. I'm sure that Rabbi Shapiro will go into, um, probably not today, but he's making faces at me and sending me text messages that he's not going to be doing this today. So, um, but that in general, you know, that is something that is brought up in terms of how, how we as Jews think about living versus, um, versus dying versus taking our lives. Uh, okay. Rebecca and then Denise. So I, I actually, I have one crucial, but I also wanted to, um, say what I thought about this, the duality, the duality here. And so, um, for me, it's very difficult to see fame and moderate life and death as, as, you know, part of the black and white good and evil, but more as, so I, I don't know if I choose to interpret this or I understand it more as while you're alive, you're choosing to live your life in a, in a, a life affirming way rather than a negative way. Yeah. And, um, and, and I see that in that it's in the second line that it's saying that you, you know you're it, it, that that is your life the you know the loving of God and listening to their to his or their commandments. Uh, um, yeah. The Shia that I the thing that struck me was the use of the words guilty uh, or or the witnessing, and I don't understand quite if what is happening here is that um, the, the earth and sky are be the witnesses, will be the witnesses of what we choose to do, or the earth and sky are witnesses that I have given you the choice. And I'm, I'm curious where, what, what the role of them is in, in this kind of thing. That's a, yeah, it's a beautiful cliche. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I have a great answer. I think it's a, it's a very powerful word. And especially again, it, with the season that's coming up, right? What does it mean to be witness to something? Um, and then in this particular passage, we're not talking about people being witness, but just like your surroundings and nature. Um, so does that mean that God is witness, right? Is God calling God to witness? Is God saying that everywhere you are, you're somehow in wit, you know, being witnessed by that which is around you. So be aware of your surroundings. Um, it's a really, it's a really great question. And as we know, in Judaism, witnesses are held to a very high standard, right? Whether it's when we're talking about Kol Nidre and we have people come up and become a bait dean for our, um, for our Nidarim, for our vows, or at a wedding or at a get ceremony, right? Witnesses are super important to how we move from one stage of life to the next. So uh, a really, really great, great question. And I'll just point, and maybe you said this and I just didn't hear you, also point us to the word nishba, right? Which means to vow or to um, to uh, take an oath, right? That, that that's in the next verse also. So though it's not aid in the same kind of witness way, it also has this sound of of justice and of um upholding something to a higher standard denise and then i will call on rabbi shapiro who has gone away but hopefully will come back so i felt like when i when i originally learned this verse and was blown away and ever since um i took this in a much more micro way i didn't take it as literally life and death because for the most part, we don't have a lot of choice. I mean, we're born when we're born. And, you know, even when somebody's, let's say, dying of a terminal disease, and maybe they go on hospice and they wind down a couple of days early. I mean, they're not really choosing life or death. It's like, you know, you're going to die and maybe you'll die today, maybe you'll die tomorrow or whatever. And so I saw it more as a... It's still there? Did we lose you? Back? 
Okay, we can't hear you any longer, so just maybe type it in the chat. You If you are still here, which doesn't look like you are, actually, um, you're still talking. Okay, type it in the chat, Denise, because we can't hear you. So, um, so go ahead, because your your internet is going in and out, so we can't understand what you're saying. Um, in a positive direction of good energy to sick relationships and its job choices and a it's it's, it's those things. Um, I don't know. Okay. Um, we got kind of everything you said really sped up, didn't we? So if you want to just, um, if you want to just put it in the chat, I would love to be able to respond to it. It sounded like a really beautiful idea. Um, but I definitely didn't get every word. So Ravi Shapiro, over to you. Is there a specific piece that you want to talk about in these verses? I talked for about 15 minutes all by myself. So I think you should go in whatever direction you want and I'm happy to pick up. All right. Um, sure. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know. There, there was a lot said, but what? <laughs> you need me to go first? I, I mean, this, there was a lot said, but there was a lot that was like half responded to. So I don't know if I should go back to the Cushiote or if I should just dive into other stuff. Whatever so. is good for you based on what you prepared is, I think, great for the class. Thank, thanks, mom. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Karen, you you asked like a really big question that I want to make sure doesn't get get skipped. I mean, my my face was Rabbi Shot said. I'm sure Rabbi Shapiro will speak about this, but I hadn't planned to. But um, I'll just say that my understanding what what I didn't mean today. I just meant in general that you probably have more to say on the topic than I do. Ah, um, just to say briefly that my understanding is that for people who die by suicide, that it's very much considered to be a, a part of mental illness, right? That, that it's someone who is sick and that it is not seen in the same category as someone who, you know, takes a life in, in another form. And the idea that someone who dies by suicide um, would therefore not be buried in Jewish cemetery is, is, is incorrect, from, from everything I've seen. So I just think it's important to, to name that. Um, I'll offer up one, one piece that, I've, that I was happy to see sort of a riff on from verse 19 and then one or two pieces from verse 20. Um, I mean, I think that there's, there's been a lot of back and forth and rightly so about like this question of how how literally should or shouldn't we take this idea of choosing life or death, right? And I think good good points have been made that like there there is of course stuff that comes up that we don't have control over. And I think Denise, part of what you were indicating is that it's it's not necessarily the same thing as like it is it is totally within your hands whether you live or die, but when there are choices laid out before you you know, make, make the good choice, right? This, this idea that in every single moment, we have a choice to make about how we're going to conduct ourselves. And hopefully, Moses is saying, um, I've been, I've been yelling, yelling at you for the past 30-ish chapters or so. And hopefully you're getting the memo by now that here are what the good choices are. And I really hope you, you choose those. Um, Rebecca, to your just just to briefly hop over to your kushia about heaven and earth, I saw a couple of commentators talk about the reason heaven and earth are named, that they should be witnesses to like what's what's being laid out here in terms of this sort of construct of what's happening because they're eternal, right? As opposed to human witnesses that like, well, well, you know, not be around after a, a however many dozens of years after this, right? That because heaven and earth are eternal and this is an ongoing commitment process and so on, that that's why heaven and earth are specifically named as, as the witnesses here, which, which I liked as, as a construct to be working with. Um, there, 
And I also saw this verse anchor a, a couple of different references to this idea that I actually don't think um, I've spoken all that much about in, in this course, although I've talked about it elsewhere. Um, and Pnei Halacha, which Rabbi Shatz has, who, who Rabbi Shatz has cited before, who um, talks about halachic ideas, but but from kind of a, a philosophical perspective, not just in the sense of like, here is what you should do or here is what you should not do, although that would be appropriate given the topic. Um, but he anchors an idea that's core to a lot of rabbinic thought in this verse. Um, he talks about how this is a verse where we can see, see the idea of the Yetzer Hatov and the Yetzer Hara, the inclination towards good and the inclination towards evil. Um, this idea in rabbinic thought that we, that everybody has both of those, right? That every single person has the inc- inclination to pull us to the good choice and every single person has the inclination to the not so good choice. And that again, by this, this binary that, yeah, like I think a couple of people have referenced is, is fairly stark in this verse. Um, This recognition that we each have those um, and this idea that, that then we have the challenge opportunity, you know, uh, invitation to choose in each moment which which one of those inclinations we are we are going to pursue. Um, I really like that idea. I always find that to be a, a, a meaningful and compelling idea. So it just always always makes me smile when it when it pops up somewhere. So I just wanted to offer that because I don't think we have talked about it all all that much in the past uh, past couple of weeks or months or years. How long have we been doing this for? I don't know. I've lost track. Um, that was, I, I had more on verse 20, Rabbi Shatz, I don't know if there's anything you wanted to share off of verse 19, but there, but there was, there was that concept that bubbled up and I wanted to make sure to, to nod to that and offer that up. Yeah, sure. I, uh, unless people have comments on, or anything to say about software, does anybody want to say anything to it? No? Okay. Um, I'm going to share my screen because, well nothing if not consistent. Um, so this is a Sforno piece that I found quite compelling. Um, one of the things for me that, that and this comes up again, I, I think I um, referenced this earlier, just this idea that uh, what does it mean for this to be so broad, right? We're all individual people. And so how could it be that something is written kind of so broadly for an entire people? And yet there are individuals that make up this this entire whole. Uh, you will hear more about that in my Rosh Hashanah sermon. Um, so it's possible. That's why this struck me. So it but, says, or, or was that your whole Rosh Hashanah sermon? You know, you, you know, people are going to appreciate that it's not 30 minutes. Let me just tell you. Okay. Mine's uh, 46 minutes. I'm not coming. That's too long. Okay. 45. 45. It's terrible. Um, So that both you and your offspring will experience this life, right? It's not just about you, but it's about who comes after you. When I said choose life, I did not mean that you should keep the laws for the sake of the reward in store for you, right? So I'm not just saying you should have life because there are lots of things that I think you should be doing, I being God, um, because I think they're going to be good for you, but that you should make this choice for the sake of true life. That you should, you should experience your life in the way that is going to be good for your existence, for your life. So if lighting, I mean, this is not what Sforno says, but if lighting Shabbat candles is meaningful to you, great, because that also works with something that I think will be meaningful to you. But if that's not meaningful to you, I hope that I, again, God, hope that there are other things that you are doing that define your life in such a way that still means you're choosing life. Um, as a way of being connected to to God and to Torah. This alone is sufficient, is, I think it's supposed to say, a sufficient reason to choose this option. Whatever satisfaction you experience during life on earth should be with a view of to the kind of life in store for you after your body has died. That's a very interesting concept in terms of the world to come. Um, I wouldn't say that I wholeheartedly believe in that or focus on that too much in my own existence, but interesting that that you would want to experience a type of life that you're proud of right if if there is a type of existence in the world to come i think is a is a fascinating point so the aura chaim and then uh i think this is all i have on 19 so i'll just share these two pieces and then 
if Rabbi Shreya wants to move on or if people have comments, we can. So the Orachayim says there are two more choices which pertain to the hereafter, meaning the, the world to come. Moses calls them bracha and kvala, respectively blessing or curse. We talked about this a little bit earlier when we could hear Denise. <laughs> These are not immediate choices or better, the results of such choices will not become known immediately. The whole approach is similar to what we have in Deuteronomy 28.6, which is a little bit earlier on in our Torah. You are blessed at your arrival. This was the verse I wanted to do last week. (laughs) You are blessed at your arrival in this world. They're adding in the peace in this world, and you are blessed at your departure. So the the verse is, um, uh, I forget how it starts. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't have in this world and it doesn't have from this world. Those are being added in here by the, by the Orachim. Um, as you enter this world without sin, so you will leave it without sin. It's saying that that's, that is something from the Gemara. Moses had to separate these two paragraphs from one another in order for us to appreciate that he talks about different domains in each paragraph. So the thing that I like about this particular commentary that seems to be a little bit all over the place is that it's comparing us to this verse in 28.6, which, which I will show you because it's driving me nuts that I can't quote it for you. Um, and the fact that it's not just about the moment that you are in, but, but every moment of blessing that can be in your comings and in your goings, right? It's not just your life in its entirety, but it's in every step of your life. Baruch atah bevoecha uvaruch atah Blessed should you be in your comings and blessed should you be in your goings. So I, I just like that, um, it is more, it is less general, I will say, than, than just saying your life should be uh, a blessing or life should be about choosing between blessing and curses, but rather that every moment should be a choice between whether you are finding this, you are finding in this moment blessing um, or finding in this moment something that has complication and therefore we might define as curse. That's all I have on 19. Rabbi Shapiro. I was offering a meaningful pause for folks to respond if they like. Yeah, like you on. So I want to talk about Sephorno's interpretation because he actually brings out an inherent problem with verse 20, which is um, if, in fact, the reason to uh, follow God's commandments is that uh, you will get these rewards and the, and the rewards that are talked about in, in verse 20 are actually rewards in this world. What happens if your life sucks, right? You're poor, you're oppressed, you have cancer, you have all these things. And then you say, well, wait a second, I've been doing all this and my life still sucks. Where's the, where's the, that's a crappy deal. Swarno says, no, no, no. Actually, uh, whatever satisfaction you experience during life on Earth should be with a view to the kind of life in store for you after your body has died. That's the payoff, you know. So if your life sucks, don't worry about it. Which, which I guess is a is a is a uh, is a way to deal with that problem because I'm sure people read that and, and and if 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 things are not going well for you, that's a very hard verse to to grasp to grasp without this kind of an interpretation. Totally. Um, and it's a really hard theology. There's a part of Gemara. Do you know what I'm talking about, Rabbi Shapiro? Which piece of Gemara am I going to reference? Go ahead. Okay. Rabbi Shapiro left instead of answering. Um, there is a piece of Gemara that talks about exactly that, that if you have a good life in this world, that you will have a harder life in the world to come and vice versa. If you're having a lot of struggles in this world, that you'll have a beautiful life in the world to come. As I said, when I read that, when I read that line in the commentary, I, I disagree with it completely. Um, and of course, when people are going through lots of service, you don't want to say, well, it's going to be fine for you in the world to come. You want it to get better for them in the world that they're living in right now. So, yeah, I, I think that everything that you're pointing to is just a very difficult theology and one that that leads us to think that not every person who is observant or extremely spiritually connected or follows every mitzvah, you know, it, that's written out for us in the Torah, that they're going to have the perfect life. And yet, as you pointed out, there are people for whom 
when something bad happens to them, they turn to religion, whether it's ours or another one, to find that element of maybe if I do more of this, maybe if I find that spiritual connection more, show that I can be um, more attentive to that to that piece of, of my identity, that things will be better for me. And as we all know, sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't work. And it probably has nothing to do with the fact that you're believing more or doing more or experiencing more, it probably just has to do with your situation and how it ends up working out in your life. But the, but the idea of an after, I mean, part of the reason those ideas exist is to try to answer that question, right? Like how, how could it be? How could it be that things are still so bad for me when I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to be doing? It might not work for people. It might be an insufficient answer, but I do think that is part of where the ideas of reward in the world to come do do emerge from. This this thorny yeah. question, Elon, that you're asking of, well, if my if if I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do and my life still sucks, what what's what's the deal with that? And an answer is there's a lama ba. Right. There's a lam haba and you will receive reward for what you've done, even if it doesn't seem like you're getting it right now. Might not work, but as, as a response. But I do think that's part of where that idea comes from. Yeah, totally. The, the thing that I was trying to get Ravish to say is something called Isurim Shel Ahava. Um, this idea that, that there that theology that if something bad is happening to you in this life, that you will have it good in the world to come, which is a very difficult theology. Uh, Renee. So I was going to say the same thing that you did. And um, it, because it dawned on me when my brother was sick with cancer, people were, people were from people were saying to me, Oh, you know, it's going to be okay because he's suffering here. So he's going to not suffer in the world to come and he's going to be able to walk and he's not going to feel pain. He's not going to this and he's not going to that. I'm like, screw that. You know, I want him to not suffer here. How is it going to help me? What's going to be in a lump of pot? I need him right. here with me. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We brought that up a lot. At, not your particular story. We brought up that idea a lot in this class. And I think that it's, it is a difficult theology, but one that, that shows its head in a lot of different places in our, in our tradition. Uh, Rabbi Shapiro, we have seven minutes left, so I would love for you to be able to share something else if you wish, and then um, if there's time, I can share something else, but we can move on. Do I have time to share two somethings else? Something else? Some Something else's? You have seven minutes. Two, two, two other things. Great. Um, thing one... Thing one and thing two. Um, thing one that I noticed that popped up in a couple of places is um, this idea that when it says in verse 20 about, about why you should do what you're supposed to do, multiple sources cited that as um, how you, you shouldn't study Torah for the sake of personal gain which is a consistent thread throughout rabbinic literature that because it says to love God, to listen to God's voice and to cleave to him um, in the Talmud, it continues to say the verse indicates that a person should not say, I will read the written Torah so that they will call me a sage. I will study the Mishnah so that they will call me rabbi. I will review my studies so that I will sit in the academy, right? This idea that you're not supposed to learn for the sake of personal gain or prestige. You called rabbi? What? study Mishnah so you can be called rabbi? Huh? You keep cut, you cut out. What'd you say? Well, it doesn't matter. It was a joke. Oh, oh. Mm. okay. Um, and there's, it also pops up elsewhere saying that like it's specifically not for, for like personal financial gain. So I, A, I just think it's a nice um, reflection of this idea about what, what this is all really for. Um, and also a nice uh, problematization of what those of us who rabbi for a living, which was not the case uh, for the majority of, of Jewish civilization, um, sort of grapple with, right? Like, you know, Rashi was a vintner, uh, Rambam was a doctor, and in all their free time, they also became like, you know, uh, all-time great rabbis. Uh, I certainly don't feel like I have time for a medical practice, um, I think Rabbi Schatz might might have time to to you know grow some grapes in her backyard, um, but it it uh, you know 
it's just also whenever I see text like that, it raises um, that question in an interesting way for me. Um, so I wanted I wanted to toss that out there. The one other piece I saw that I that I thought was really nice that takes this in a slightly different direction in terms of this idea about why we do it and how it extends our lives and whether it's this world or the world to come is that Reb Simchabunim, who's one of the great Hasidic sages, Reb Simchabunim of, of uh, Pesischa, which is easy for me to say, um, he plays with this idea of how it says, that Torah should be your life and extending of your days. And he, he starts with a parable because of course, um, and he said, sometimes there's a medicine that tastes bad, but it's good for you. And sometimes there are things that taste really, really good, but they're actually bad for you. But Torah is like neither of those. It is, it, it tastes like it tastes good and it extends your life, right? That it's chayecha, that it's good for you, that it's enjoyable right now. And it also, right, is good for you in, in the long term. So I just thought that that was a really nice sort of exposition of, you know, of, of a phrase that, that folks might recognize. Right, Rabbi Shatz, I say, I sang. I wanted to make sure I got I got a little bit of singing in on the last podcast of the year, um, but I I like that idea that um, sort of with, within that little turn of phrase is this idea um, that it is what, whatever you might get out of it if you're doing it for sort of the right reasons that there can be something in Torah that is both positive or pleasurable or meaningful both in this moment and also something that pays off or is uh, sustaining or holds value in the long term as well. So I, I thought that that was a really, uh, really nice idea. Um, I want to add to the first thing that you said with a Likute Moharan text. Which oh, good. Very good. I know, I know you're always surprised when I find myself deep in, um, in Hasidut. Would you consider this Hasidut? It is Hasidut, right? Reb Nachman? Yes, I would consider Reb Nachman to be Hasidut. Yes, I definitely would. Um, we can go through this another time. So, um, okay. You have a Reb Nachman another time? No, no, no. Okay. Um, so here's a piece not from, this is from Sforno again. A lot of Sforno today. Torno says, Ladavkabo means that all of your activities during life on earth should be focused on giving glory to God. So that every, which I actually really like. I love the idea that you don't have to do like these specific mitzvot, but that everything that you do, my, my parents, I was going to say used to say, but they still say it, um, that you are a reflection of your name, right? If I walk out into the world and my last name is Schatz, people don't just see me as Rebecca Schatz, but they also think about all the other people they know with the last name of Schatz, right? They know they, anything that I do is a reflection of my parents. Anything my parents do is a reflection on me. You know, if, if you know that I'm related to the good glicks, you also know that anything I do is a reflection on them. Anything we do reflects ripples out, right. To, to those who, who we are connected to. And I love this idea that to connect to God doesn't just mean to do the things that God might be asking of us or saying are good for us to do, but rather that everything that we experience in the world is somehow connected to feeling like we are doing that in relationship with God, which I really love. And so this piece um, brings that a little bit more specifically to Torah and says, I'm not reading the whole thing. Um, How is it possible to separate oneself from the Torah even for a short while? In fact, it is unavoidable. It is impossible to be constantly attached to the Torah day and night without a moment's interruption. Every Torah devotee, (laughs) including the scholar who studies Talmud and its commentators, which is like a little bit of a dig, uh, but oh, sure, and the like, each one commiserate with his level according to the subject matter he studies, must absent himself from the Torah for some time during the day. So you cannot constantly be in enthralled in or studying the Torah every single minute of every day. Why? Because you need to also experience life and how the Torah that you're learning is also going to influence the life that you're living and vice versa, how the life that you're living is going to allow you to read the Torah differently 
and influence that piece, that Torah. The same is true also of one with deep mystical insight. Here you go, Rabbi Shapiro. And also of one who is much more loftier. Not sure what that means. Even so, he must interrupt and set aside his perceiving for a while because it is impossible to continuously cleave to Torah or mystical perception without interruption. So I, I really like this piece for a few reasons. Number one, because I think it allows all of us to not feel inadequate with what, however we are doing Judaism and the amount of Judaism we do, that anything we are doing, as long as it is with good intention, is the correct amount, right? Because it's the amount for us and it is the way that we are cleaving to our tradition. The season that we are about to be in is where people feel the most um, judgmental of their own spiritual connection and their own attention to uh, Jewish ritual, right? People feel, I have to fast or else I'm not a good Jew, or I have to be in shul from the moment the psuche starts, no one ever does that, to the moment that Musaf ends, or else I haven't heard everything, right? And people only feel that way I shouldn't say it so generally. Most people feel that way about this time of year and don't feel that way about like every Shabbat, (laughs) right? They they feel like, oh, I can take a Shabbat off. I can take a nap. But Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, even Sukkot through Simchat Torah, I think people feel this real desire that like the, the right thing to do is to be in shul, to hear the liturgy a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. And I really like this piece because what it's basically saying is it's not important for you to do each and every little thing. It's important for anything that you do to have meaning. And so I just wanted to say, based on these verses, that I hope that you find meaning these high holidays, whether that's going to be with us every minute of um, the Chagim, which we would love, uh, or whether that means you doing certain things that bring you that connection that are not sitting in a pew for four hours every day of the high holidays. Um, I think it's uh, to go back to the jokes that we were making about sermons earlier is all about the meaning that you're finding and, and the experience that you're having. It doesn't have to be a certain way or a certain sound or a certain seat. Um, it has to be however you're finding connection. So I, that's my blessing for all of us that we're able to find our connection this year in a way that's meaningful because that will be enough. Rabbi Shapiro? I you. Oh. Amen. Okay. Uh, any last thoughts, comments? Shana Tova. Shabbat Shalom. Achayim. All the things. Shabbat Shalom, everyone, and Shana Tova. And again, we hope to see you over the course of really the next month. We will definitely see you next Friday for our podcast. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.